Thank you so much for being here. I'm grateful uh, for those of you who uh, prayed for me last week on my study retreat. Uh, it worked. Uh, <laughs> I'm excited about next year, and, uh, uh, you know, I kept telling people that, you know, had an opportunity to preach in chapel, and that went pr- fairly well, you know. So, um, you know, people are like, what are, you, what are you doing down here when you're not uh, at the school talking? I said, I'm, I'm working on next year's plan, <laughs> you know, with the quotes, because uh, who knows? Um, but uh, anyway, grateful for that, and uh, I would just add to your, your prayers. Uh, this afternoon, our elders are meeting, and so at 2 o'clock, would you, we've just got a lot of stuff coming, that, some big decisions that we need to make looking forward, and so at 2 o'clock this afternoon, from 2 to 4-ish, um, our elders are meeting, and if you'd be uh, praying for your, your church elders here at Chapel Rock, that'd be great. Check your bulletin for a lot of other stuff that's, that's going on. Now, I want to begin this morning with a little bit of a, a weird kind of confession, I suppose. I Maybe some of you out there are like me. I have this strange habit. I will watch movies premier, like, like that are on television that I own on DVD. Anybody else do that? Okay, okay, thank you. I'm not the only one. Thank God, okay. Um, I feel better, thank you. No, I mean, like, it's on TV, and there's commercials and all that stuff, and it'll occur to me, like, you know, I could just go to the basement and grab the DVD and, and not have to stay up until midnight to finish the movie. Like, I could just do that. But these are all movies that I've already seen, right? And so I'll watch Dave's nodding. These are, I've already seen it. I know how it goes. And so I'll watch the movie on TV rather than go get the DVD because... The commercials mean I don't have to get too fully invested in it. I know where the good parts are. I am not left-handed. And I know where that is, and I don't have to, you know, I can just go and get a sandwich or whatever, get a snack, and, and not have to get so fully invested in the movie. Now, when I go to the theater, totally different story, right? When I go to watch a movie in the theater, it's a completely different thing, all right? I, you know, I love that you can reserve your seat now. That's really cool because I can pick out my spot, right? Dead center in the theater. Like right in the middle is my spot. I'm not quite as bad as Sheldon Cooper on The Big Bang Theory, but close, right? Like I, I get my spot. I like to go to a matinee. There are fewer people there. I go to the concession. I, so I go in, I get my spot. I know where it is. I find it. Okay. Then I go back and I get my five gallon bucket of Coke, but I drink it really slow because I don't want to have to go in the middle of the movie. Like, I want to be able to, you know, wait until the end. And, and the movies I tend to like, Lord of the Rings and superhero stuff, are long movies. And you got you to sit in there through the thing. And I think that there's a parallel there with that movie-watching experience and our spiritual life. Because sometimes, maybe all too often, we're like me watching a movie at home with the commercials, and we're kind of looking for that next distraction, when's snack time, you know, as opposed to me watching a movie at the theater, totally invested, this is all we're doing right now, we're doing this, <laughs> leave me alone, I'm putting the phone in airplane mode, leave me alone, I'm, doing, I'm, I'm in, and I wonder sometimes if we get a little spiritual ADD, squirrel, you know, when Jesus wants us to be fully invested in the life of the Spirit, as I read the story of Elisha, I see a guy who was fully invested in the life of the Spirit. Open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2. 
2 Kings chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Grateful last week, Jason started our series called Previews of Jesus on the ministry of Elisha and looking at how Elisha kind of serves as a preview of what Jesus would be like for the, the people of Israel. Um, now, this is somewhat unfamiliar territory in our Bibles. And so let me give you a little context here. Elisha lived about 150 years after King David, okay? So just to help you kind of put this in historical context, the transition from David to Solomon was right about 1,000 years before the time of Jesus, if that helps you. That was about 1,000 B.C., okay? So this is, you know, um, roughly 850, 700, you know, 800 B.C. is is, is when this is, okay? Um, And that's significant, We'll talk about it in more detail later, but basically all you need to know right now is that the northern kingdom of Israel, they'd split by this point into Israel in the north and Judah in the south, and the northern kingdom had just completely abandoned the worship of God, right? They've just wholesale into idolatry and worship of false gods, spiritual corruption dominated the land, and set against this, you have Elijah initially, we talked about last week a little bit. Elisha, his successor, a group of people called the Company of the Prophets. Best analogy I would have is it's like Bible college, right? They're, they're training, they're learning how to do these things of the Spirit. And then we find out in the story of Elijah, several thousand people yet who have not bowed the knee to Baal, right? They've not yet worshipped, they haven't gone that far. They've not apostatized in their faith. So you've got these two prophets and then the school that kind of was learning these things and several thousand good-hearted folks who still love the Lord against their whole culture that had abandoned God. That's the scenario here. And their job is to call people back to the covenant together with him. I've told you before, let, this is a good place to reiterate, the job of a prophet in the Old Testament was not to tell the future, really. I mean, they did some of that. They did a little bit of that. The job of a prophet is not to tell the future. It's to be God's spokesman in a culture that's abandoned him. The the job of a prophet is to call people back to their relationship with God. They were preachers more than anything else. So what I want to do today is is read through this passage together and and, and then give you two strategies on, on how to live out what this is talking about, about being fully engaged in the life of the Spirit. So look with me at 2 Kings chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, stop right there. <laughs> so this is not very good narrative storytelling. He gave away the, the, like the climax, right? The very first line, he gives it away. <laughs> like, wait, what? That, huh? Because there's been no, no thought of that up to this point. And all of a sudden, like, wait a second. But maybe that's not actually the climax. Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, I'm going to do that a bunch. I just want you to know, and you're going to do it too, or you're going to mix up their names. It's, It's totally normal. Everything's okay. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came to Elisha and said, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. 
the company of the prophets of Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. Now let's pause right there. In, in the world of the Old Testament, the firstborn son always got a double portion of the inheritance. All right? It, it, so what that did is it kept the majority of the land and the property kind of within the same household. The younger brothers would sometimes go and do other things, but it, it, it allowed it to be passed on. It kind of kept the wealth located in a single stream of the family, all right? It's, that's similar to what he's asking here. He's, he says, I want to inherit a double portion of your spirit. He's basically saying, make me like the firstborn son of your spiritual family is what's, what's happening there, okay? You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. It's a sign of grief in the ancient world. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and left, and he crossed over. In other words, what he's saying is, did I actually inherit the, the firstborn son rights to be the prophet? <laughs> did I get that, that spirit like Elijah had? And he did. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, we are, your servants have 50 able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. If you have footnotes in your Bible or references, you might notice there it says Acts 8.39. That actually happened to Philip. <laughs> So if you want to know, like, like there's an interesting little, talk about previews, much, much later, hundreds of years later, the Spirit of God, when Philip witnessed to the Ethiopian eunuch, after that was done, he picked him up and put him down somewhere else. That, that really happened. So their, their, their question here is not just completely out of the blue, all right? Even though it happened first, there's, there's a reason to ask it. And they say, maybe he picked him up and set him down. No, Elisha replied, do not send them. But they persisted until he was too embarrassed to refuse so he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for him for three days and did not find him. When they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go? <laughs> now, I, by the way, I just, I don't know if you, it strikes you. The Bible is a funny book. I, there's humor here. It's like, it just, it's hilarious to me. I told you so. Um, it's funny. Anyway, the people of the city said to Elisha, look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad. And the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. 
Then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, This is what the Lord says, I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word Elisha has spoken. If you go to Jericho, you can see the spring. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some boys came out of town and jeered at him. Get out of here, baldy, they said. Get out of here, baldy. They're mocking the prophet of the Lord. He turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. We'll explain this later. And he went on to Mount Carmel and from there returned to Samaria. As I've been studying the life of Elisha, here's my conviction. Based on the many connections that Elijah and John the Baptist have in the New Testament, Jesus made those connections, then the character and ministry of Elisha is a preview of the character and ministry of Jesus. And it's my firm conviction that Elisha and Jesus and you and I all have the same mission, to represent God's heart in a world that's abandoned him. We have the same mission they did. We're on the same quest. See, if Elisha is the preview and Jesus is the main feature, what's that make us? Well, that makes us the sequel. (laughs) And I think we can all agree that with a few exceptions, the sequel's never as good as the original. But it's fun to live in that world again, isn't it? And maybe, just maybe, people get a taste of what the original was like when they see the sequel. I just want to be a good sequel to Jesus. I know I can never live up to that standard. He was perfect. He's Jesus. But the same spirit that empowered his ministry lives in me. And it lives in you. And we're supposed to be a preview of what will ultimately come to pass. Elisha was a preview of Jesus. Jesus in his ministry is a preview of what the church should be like. We're the sequel. We need to be good ones. So how do we do that? How do we carry on the ministry of Elisha and Jesus and all those who've gone before us? Well, let me give you two strategies this morning. Here's the first one. You wear the mantle. You wear the mantle. Now, it's common among preachers for them to use the term that he he was wearing the prophetic mantle. That's when a preacher gets up and, boy, he gives the church both barrels, right? I mean, he just lets them have it, you know? And they'll say, well, he was wearing the prophetic mantle today. He was speaking with boldness and conviction it's a reference to this text. And I've used that term to talk before about a sermon that really felt like it was just kind of straight from God, where the preacher just kind of went into autopilot and the Holy Spirit took over and just like words are coming out, you know, and, and it's, it's God speaking to his people. <laughs> There's a problem with that idea. It has nothing to do with preaching in the text. It's completely divorced, divorced from what's actually happening here. The prophetic mantle is a physical symptom of a spiritual reality. The Spirit of God metaphorically resting on the prophet. And we as Christians have an even greater blessing. The Spirit of God dwells within us. The Spirit is inside of us if you're a Christian. The second century preacher, John Chrysostom, made this comparison. He said, Elijah left his cloak to his disciple through which Elisha inherited the right to be God's prophet. Jesus left his spirit to his disciples, us, through which we have the right to be God's children and act on his behalf for his glory in the world. 
Like I said, in the Old Testament, the role of a prophet was not primarily to tell the future. It was to speak on behalf of God to a world that had abandoned him. He's calling people back to the covenant. You see, this prophetic mantle, listen to me, church, this prophetic mantle is not just for preachers. It is for every Christian. When you wear the mantle of the Spirit, you function as God's servant to call people back to him. And so one strategy by which we can be a preview of what God wants to do in the world is to wear the mantle of the Spirit. Be fully engaged in the life of the Spirit. Don't just settle for watching it on TV with commercials and snack breaks. Be all in, man. Be 100% there and committed to living in the Spirit. You are now and have been the beneficiary of the faith of many, many generations of faithful Christians that have gone before you. You stand on their shoulders. They've passed the mantle of the spiritual life on to you. You see, if we had the time today, we could go around this room. It'd take a while. There's a good number of you here. And thank you for being here. Thank you for those of you watching online. I'm grateful for that. But we could go around the room and we could say, who passed the mantle on to you? And some of you have a face. When I asked that question, you have a face that instantly popped into mind. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your grandparents. It might have been a youth leader, sponsor, your D group leader at CIY. Somebody sparked that fire in you. They passed the mantle on to you. <laughs> Will you take up the call to live fully engaged in the life of the Spirit. During the Great Depression, there was a man whose name was Yates. Lived out in West Texas, had a sheep ranch. Not a lot of sheep. Um, he's West Texas, rolling hills, pretty dry. is <laughs> a tough, tough job. And, and they just struggled and struggled like everybody through the Great Depression to, to really have much resources at all and, and was really afraid as, as prices began to decline and, and demand was going down. He was really afraid he was going to lose everything. And um, he, he was, you know, it was one of those kind of come to Jesus meetings with his wife, right? Like, honey, if we don't do something, we, I mean, we, if we sell off all the sheep, then we don't have anything to graze. I mean, it's one of those like, we're kind of at that fish or cut bait moment, you know? And... Um, she said, I don't know, hon, let's just pray. <laughs> so they prayed. A couple days later, um, a seismographic crew from an oil exploration company came out. And they said, Mr. Yates, we, uh, we have reason to believe that you have oil under your land based on some survey work that we've done. We'd, we'd like to drill what they call a wildcat well, just stick in the ground and see what happens. You know, we'll pay for it, we need your permission. Um, if we find it, obviously that, that may change things for you. We don't know, but we're just going to try based on our research. <laughs> He's like, got nothing to lose. Go for it, guys. Sure. So they picked a spot. They dug a wildcat well, and um, at about 1,100 feet down, they hit oil. And it was producing, I want to get this right, 80,000 barrels a day. 30 years later, as production methods had improved, it was producing 125,000 barrels a day, just, just pouring oil out of the ground. Now, here's the thing. Mr. Yates owned all that the day he bought the land. 
It was his. He was a millionaire and he didn't even know. He's out there scraping by trying to get enough money for his wool and the meat from the sheep. And he's got oil. It's like the Beverly Hillbillies come to life, man. And yet he'd been living on government handouts. Boy, I sure hope there's nobody in this room doing that. See, my Bible tells me in 2 Peter 1.3, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Won't you hear me, church? There is no secret sauce. No, there's not. There's no magic bullet. There, there's no special prayer that you can pray that is automatically going to make you more spiritual. The day you accepted Christ, you got the full meal deal, man. You got all the spirit you were ever going to need. The, the only difference here is how much you depend on him. How much you, in, you invest in the life of the spirit. If you're here this morning and you feel like, I could just use a little more Jesus, I'm telling you, that's not true. You got all the Jesus you could ever possibly need. Maybe what you need is to surrender a little more of your life to Jesus today. This is a matter of attitude. It's, just, it's, it's a matter of having the right attitude toward the Spirit. Are, are, are you getting handouts? Are you getting scraps? Or do you own this? It's yours. He gave it to you. It's a gift. Take, use it. Take it. It's yours. And there are some practices that can help you do that. See, it's not just a matter of attitude. It's also a matter of habit prayer, Bible reading, regularly being in the Word, regularly speaking with your Father, memorization of the Word. You'll be amazed what that'll do in your life when you begin to memorize God's Word. I have hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you, the psalmist writes. Fasting, yes, you can not eat food, but there are other things you can fast from. You can fast from sleep. You can fast from sex. You can fast from coffee. <gasps> Practicing silence and stillness. Simplicity. It's, it's a matter of habit. It takes both. It takes the right attitude toward it and it takes the right habits that support it. A.W. Tozer said this, though every believer has the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit does not have every believer. Does he have you? Are you fully engaging in the life of the Spirit? See, those who've gone before us have laid down the mantle. Will you pick it up? You've inherited the portion of the firstborn. It's, it's yours to claim. Will you claim it? Paul writes in Galatians 3, 26, look at this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You get to wear the mantle of Elisha. And Elijah and the prophets engage in the life of the Spirit. It's not about a garment. There's, there's no magic thing that you can put on that all of a sudden makes you holier. It's certainly not a tie or suit coat or dress or a little beanie on your head. It's the Spirit of God that does that in you. That's what we're clothed with Christ. If Elisha is the preview and Jesus is the main attraction, 
then we're the sequel. So we gotta be a good one. We gotta be like the original. Here's the second strategy. You gotta work the ministry. You wear the mantle and you work the ministry. The text moves very quickly from Elisha taking up the mantle of him to working in his ministry as God's prophet. We get two examples. In fact, the author of 2 Kings structures this in a really interesting way. There's a long story and then two short ones, okay, that drive home the same point of the first one. He'll do nearly the same thing again in chapter 4. In fact, this whole series of stories about Elisha has a very intricate structure. The author's intent here is that you will understand that Elisha is God's representative in a society that is corrupt, just like we're supposed to be. Elisha is God's representative in a society that has abandoned God, just like he's calling you and I to be this morning. In the text, Elisha receives the prophetic mantle and immediately goes to work in that role. We need to be ready to follow the Spirit no matter when he says go, you gotta go. And the Christian needs to be ready to move at any moment when the Spirit nudges you. How many of you, oh, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hands. Do, do, do y'all know that voice? It's the voice in your head that's not your own inner monologue. Some of you have an inner monologue, right? You, it's your own voice in your head right? And usually there's a lot of reverb on it and it kind of echoes. <laughs> like, and it, it's that, that kind of thing where you're just like, oh yeah, I should do that. But then there's another voice, the Spirit's voice. If you're a Christian, if you've accepted Christ as Lord and Savior and, and had him wash away your sins and been baptized and received the Spirit, then there's another voice. I, I've never heard it audibly, but there have been times in my life when that voice spoke. It's not, it's not my own inner monologue. It's, it's another voice. And <laughs> please understand the humor I mean in this. You need to listen and do what the voices in your head tell you to do. <laughs> At least that one voice. You know, to do the work of the ministry. Moving at the Spirit's impulse. That's what I mean by engaging fully in the life of the Spirit. And we see Elisha at work in two ways, in healing and in judgment. And maybe if we're gonna make a difference in the world, we could adopt that same that same posture, to work in healing and in judgment. These strike us as strange miracles. Were they any different, really, than Jesus' miracles? I mean, you know, put, bring me a new bowl, put salt in it, dump it in the water. It's better. Like, you know, come on, that's weird. Really? <laughs> Let me put this on your eye. <laughs> what? Remember when Jesus did that? He made mud and stuck it on a blind guy's eyes and healed him. Like, that's just weird, man. Another time, Jesus sticks his fingers in a guy's ears and says, Ephatha, be open, which literally means be open. And, you know, it comes out and like, he can hear it. Jesus did some strange things, too, in healing people. Elisha's just really the preview of that. We see in these two short vignettes that Elisha is invested with the authority of the Spirit of God. He's the leader of the company of the prophets. We see Elisha reversing God's judgment on Jericho. Oh, this goes all the way back to Deuteronomy 18, 19. In Deuteronomy 18, 19, God says, I myself, and this is Yahweh speaking, will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. 
And so these young men don't listen. They're mocking God's prophet, and he calls down a curse. He doesn't specifically call down bears. That was God's idea. <laughs> it's not like he goes, hmm, what would be bad? Bears. And like, it's not what he does, right? He just says, the Lord, the Lord, may the Lord judge you is probably what he says. May Yahweh judge you. And then that was God's judgment on these young men who mocked him. And say, I, Casey, like, I'm wrestling with that. Okay, here's the deal. You need to understand that the good news of salvation is only good news because the default setting is for us is bad news. W once you become a sinner, which is like 100% of us, the default setting is bad news for you, right? Out outside God intervening and saving you, the default setting is hell. And so the good news is only good news because the default setting for everybody is bad news. <laughs> and that's the imperative for us here. Our fallen world needs good news. The default setting is bad news. They need the good news. As a church, we, ha we also have the call of Elisha to represent God's heart in a culture that's abandoned him. Let's get to work. Let's do this. We need to bring healing and life into our community. When Elisha healed the water through the Spirit's power, there's nothing magical about salt. Salt is good. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 5, but there's nothing magical about that process. The Spirit did that. Not only did he restore hope to the people of Jericho, he reversed a curse that went back hundreds of years. His actions also would have brought about economic renewal and growth as well. When you go to Jericho today, there is a spring. They call it, you know, the, this is the spring that Elisha healed. Now, whether or not it really is, we don't know, but that's what they call it. And right across the, you know, patio is a very successful restaurant. <laughs> I ate there. The food's good. It, it, it brought about hope and renewal, I mean, even on an economic level here. I am convinced that if Chapel Rock will pick up the mantle of the Holy Spirit and be Jesus to our community, if we'll wear this mantle and do this work of the ministry, we can be a force in our community to reverse generational sin, to grow communal goodwill, and, and even jumpstart some economic renewal. You help people step out of poverty and all of a sudden your local economy gets better. When I talk about being whole in Christ, I'm talking about all of that. All of it is wholeness. It's all of that is shalom. Listen, it is not the job of the government to provide hope. That's our job. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's be about this. Let's do the work of the ministry. But like Elisha, we also have a role to play in being the conscience of our culture as well. We must extend healing grace and mercy to a people that desperately need it. But we've also got to stand for truth and bring glory to God. And you can do both at the same time. Elisha did. Jesus did. You can too. If we carry on the ministry of Elisha and Jesus, for us that means two things. First of all, when Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, that we, the saints, will judge the world, and in that context he's talking about final judgment, one day this is going to happen. I don't know about your end times thinking, but one day we as the church will sit in judgment on a fallen world. For, for now, our lives should do that. 
You just outlive them. Let, let, let your life be a judgment on them. We must live in such a way in righteousness and holiness that our, their own consciences will condemn them, like Paul says in Romans 2. Secondly, when God is mocked in our culture, and I mean openly mocked, ultimately all sin mocks God because it's a rebellion against his authority, but I mean, I'm talking about someone who openly, vocally, militantly mocks God. They make fun of God, and maybe they make fun of you for worshiping God. You don't have the option to remain silent. Now, please don't try to call down wild animals on them, okay? That's a bad idea. But you have to say something. And, and some of you are like, whoa, Casey, whoa, 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 whoa. I do not feel qualified to say anything at that point. Here's all you have to say. Ready? I'm going to resource you. I'm going to equip you. Here's all you have to say. Ask this question. You ready? If you're taking notes, write this down. Why do you feel that way? Why do you feel that way? Because what will come out next will probably be, well, I prayed for my grandma to get better and she died. Oh. Well, I went to church one time and the preacher said something that made me mad. Oh. Well, you all these guys on TV, they, they say all this good stuff, but then they go and they do bad things. Oh. Now we're having a conversation. Now we're able to relate and talk. So I agree with you. I, you know, uh, you know, Tim Keller's famous line, tell me about the, the or was it Keller? I don't remember who it was, <laughs> blank. but tell me about the God you don't worship because I probably don't believe in him either. Right? It, it, it's that idea. Let's, let's be really clear about who God is. <laughs> Here, maybe I can put it this way. Think about the closest personal relationship you have with, with anybody. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your parent, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a friend. If somebody began to call them names in public and trash their reputation, you're just gonna sit there and listen? Nope. <laughs> it's gonna be everything I can do to keep my hands in my pockets, right? I'm coming out, I'm show you. Um, you talk about Miss Debbie like that, you're gonna regret it, boy. I hope you live long enough to regret it. <laughs> like, no. But we can't re respond in violence. We respond in love. How much more then should we bear witness again, uh, in favor of the one who died on the cross for our sin? Yes, we, we respond to the world in healing, but our, our lives should be a form of judgment. <laughs> Jesus is calling you to do the work of the Spirit, yes, in healing and also in judgment. And the only way to know how to do that is by listening to the Spirit. Let me tell you one more story and we're done. I heard a story about a guy who prayed this prayer every day. He said, Lord, if you want me to witness to somebody, just give me a sign. So he, he lived in New York City, got on the subway, and it was one of those rare days where there's just nobody was out. And he gets on the subway and he sits down and, and at the next stop, this like hell's angel dude gets on. He's like nine foot four. I mean, he's huge, you know, weighs 700 pounds. He's this massive man. Biker jacket, skulls, tattoos everywhere. And there's a whole empty subway car and the guy goes and sits right down next to this Christian guy. Got the whole car, man. I mean, he's, he's, he's like, oh, no, this is where I die. 
And all of a sudden, the guy starts praying, I just need to be saved. The hell's angel guy. I just need to be saved. I just need to get right with God. Won't somebody show me how to be saved? Won't someone tell me how to get right with God? And the, guy, the Christian guy goes, Lord, is this a sign? <laughs> yes! Listen to the Spirit, man. Did you hear me today, church? We can represent God's heart and be a good sequel to Jesus in a sinful world by fully engaging in the life of the Spirit. I told you, Elisha's the preview. Jesus is the feature. You're the sequel. Be a good one. Be the sequel. The prophetic mantle is laying in front of you today. Are you going to pick it up? Are you going to wear the mantle? Are you going to do the work? Maybe today you've heard that for the first time. You've been challenged to do that. Maybe we're going to stand and sing in just a second, and, and if you've never accepted Christ, you're going to have an opportunity. That you've got, I mean, the door's always open. We'll always do that. But right now is a moment you can come and make that confession and be baptized and receive the Spirit and really, really wear that mantle and live in the power of the Spirit every day. Maybe you've been getting by with a little spiritual ADD and snack time, and it's time to engage and invest in the life of the Spirit. I'm not sure what God is doing in your heart right now, but I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I'm going to ask you to respond as the Spirit leads you today as we sing. You do that now.